I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Where do I display my NFT? Is it just in like so a little... So this is what I want to know as well. What's going on, guys? And welcome back to Watch Time as we return for our second, third episode of third episode, third episode of 2021. We've got some actually, actually, uh, once again, I feel like we went from having no topics to actually having interesting topics to work, to act, to talk about. One of them is a topic I'm incredibly familiar with. The other one is a topic I'm incredibly unfamiliar with and Grace is familiar with. And then there are two others that I know that you're bringing to the table that I don't know anything about at all. Yeah, we're on a roll. Podcast three, we're back 2021. Um, It's really interesting because I was checking the podcast reviews on Apple Podcasts before we started recording. And literally the last two reviews have been people being like, where have your uploads been for the last two months? And I'm like, bro, refresh your feed. We're right here. I'm here. So- that On that note, though, please, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, go and leave us a review. If you leave us a question in the Apple reviews, we will answer it on we next might, week's we question. Might, we might answer if it's, it. If it's, it's a bad question, no one's answering it. Okay. Yeah. If it's a good question. So make it a good question and we'll answer it in the reviews. Not answering a bad question. <laughs> okay. So let's jump into it, though. Elliot, how's your week been? My week's been good, actually. I'm being very productive. I've finally got a head on videos for the first time in a while now. I'm mm-hmm. smashing through some good stream hours. I'm, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And then also literally was going through some like back catalog stuff with Jacob, my editor, and we discovered like four, four to five videos that I'd literally never posted. I just oh, hadn't what? posted them. It was oh. like, cause occasionally like I'll get ahead or I'd get ahead on content and we'd get like three to four videos ahead and we're just they're all uploaded and then we're like yeah. publicizing them, but then an update happens. And I'm like, okay, no, no, no. I'm now posting this. And then we forget that there was a video that we got done a week and a half ago that is just sitting there ready to go. And then it falls behind. So I'm now ahead and I'm now extra, extra ahead because there's content and I didn't even know I had. Love that for you. It's like finding free money in your pocket. You it know what I mean? It actually is <laughs> literally when a video generates money. So it kind of is like finding, it is finding free money <laughs> in your pocket. So good. Well, we released um, our other podcast for the first time last week as well. Well, it's my podcast, I guess. It's called Rookie CEO and it's a short one. So the episodes are only going to be five to 10 minutes long each time, but it's really documenting like Whereas on Watch Time, we're talking about like industry news and all of that. On Rookie CEO, I'm talking really about like the lessons learned in what we've been doing, trying to build click. I think if you're interested in the business side of things, which I know a lot of people that listen to Watch Time are, um, I think you'd like it. I hope so. Um, I'll have everything linked in the descriptions, either on YouTube or on the podcast apps. So please, if you have a spare five minutes, go listen to that one as well, because I think you might like it. But Elliot, let's jump into the first episode of today. We're back on the Bitcoin bloody grind here, but we're talking about NFTs and we're talking about Logan Paul selling his first NFT. 
And for the people at home, do you want to explain what an NFT is in a simple in a simple way, if I, you can? I think I can. And this is okay. the thing. When I say I don't understand it, I do understand the premise of what it is. Yeah. But I don't understand why it is a thing. Okay. Um, I mean, I was just starting to get my head around Bitcoin and actually understanding Bitcoin <laughs> and why Bitcoin is a thing. And now all of a sudden I'm getting NFTs thrown at me. Effectively... And, and I'm, I'm going to put it in a way that I understand it, which may not be 100% accurate, but I'm guessing that not everyone who listens to the podcast fully understands the in-depth levels of cryptocurrency. So putting it this way in my brain way is probably going to be the best way for most people to understand it. Mm -hmm. Effectively, it is something that's built on the Ethereum blockchain. So obviously Ethereum is kind of like a brother to Bitcoin. It's like, yep. a, but Bitcoin stands alone. Ethereum, a lot of things are built off. And effectively, honestly, the simplest way to think about it is it is digital art. I'm, yes. And, and I, I think it can take many different forms that aren't only art, but essentially imagine... If you have a painting that an uh, artist has made for you mm -hmm. and they've painted it and given it to you, that is the only one of that painting mm -hmm. in the world. That is, can't be replicated. It can't be replicated. And if it is, it's not the same. And most people are able to very much verify, no, this is the original. Effectively, NFTs are taking uh, like digital art and assigning almost like a barcode to it. Yes. But basically just saying that this is a unique piece of art that exists digitally. It only exists digitally and this and the version yeah. you have is unique. Although they are, they're not always unique. Sometimes they'll be like, okay, this is one piece of art, but it's limited to 3000 and yeah. it's 3000 that are duplicated by X. Number. I see it very much as like collectibles in a way that have a value because there's only a certain amount of them or there's only a certain type. Where of do them. I display my NFT? Is it just in like so a little- So this is what I want to know I'm, well. I'm angry. I'm really angry. This topic angers me and I hate it because I think I'm pretty hip and cool and down with the kids. So yeah. normally I'm the guy that when someone's like, oh, I don't get why people watch YouTube. Why don't they play the game themselves? I'm like, well, listen up old timer because I'm going to tell you how the new generation <laughs> works. And, but, but, but I feel like, and, and exclusively around blockchain related things, Things, I feel like I'm the dinosaur all of a sudden. I'm like, yeah. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't like it. Someone described it to me as like the reason that you would buy an NFT is like the reason you'd buy a Pokemon card or some sort of collectible thing that you want to have that you then have access to. I'm like, but at least with your Pokemon cards, you can like look at them and feel them or like display them in like a nice case or something. You know, whereas you these ones you can't, but I guess that's like that's just how it is. Okay, but but and and to and before we go into are they valuable? Why should they be valuable? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. We should go into why this topic angers me because you might be thinking, oh, oh well, um, well, Muselk, you know, like if, if people are, you know, buying and selling their, you know, unique versions of like a little digital painting, like who cares? You know, people want to pay a couple of dollars and have like a little thing on their computer that has a unique barcode that only they can have. Then yeah. that's their call. They're not going for a couple of dollars. People are literally dropping four, five, six figures on these things. For pixels. So, yeah. And so to bring this back, basically, um, Logan Paul released an NFT last week and he sold a lot of it, about $5 million worth of this NFT within the period of a couple days. It was, I was pretty astounded. So he sold, I believe, uh, 2,000 of them roughly, right? 2,200, and they were selling for one Ethereum and Ethereum is currently priced at about $2,000 each. So yeah. people were buying 
these not even unique because I believe that uh, the the ones of which there were 3,000, they were actually duplicates of each other. A lot of them were duplicates of each other. Mm-hmm. Where pe- people were paying $2,000 for effectively a little digital drawing of Logan Paul as a Pokemon. Yeah. And I think it was really interesting because I believe demand was also driven by the fact that there was a contest attached to this, whereby three of the people that bought one of the NFTs would also be able to win a first edition pack of Pokemon cards, which yeah. is obviously like Lurkin's other thing where um, he is going to unbox those on a stream over the next couple of weeks. So there was definitely like some added demand featured there. But what I want to talk about is how blown away I am that he was able to find this many people willing to spend that much money on a digital token. Like there's a few barriers to entry here. And I think it's really interesting because actually early January, I received an email from a guy and, and you know, the nature of my job is I have people pitching different ideas and things all the time. And I had an email from a guy telling me about NFTs in early January. And I got to say, early January was the first time I'd ever heard the word or the acronym. Emma and I were talking about them late last year. Not with the the prefix uh, NFT, but the concept of like digital art, like digital goods. Yes. So- I first had a call about this in early January. And to be honest, when I was being talked through it, I was like, this is cool. I was like, but this feels quite niche and it feels um, pretty high barrier to entry, both in terms of how much it costs, but also the fact that you're then working um, with digital currencies and Ethereum and what it actually takes to buy one of these things, you know, it's not just putting a credit card number in over the, a website. It's a yep. little bit harder than that. And so for me, when I was thinking about the creators that we represent, I was thinking, look, the audiences are generally a little bit younger. They're more like teenage, early 20s. I don't know if that audience is the kind of people that are purchasing digital currencies and then purchasing NFTs with that digital currency. Yep. Like, is that too much of a pill to swallow? Is it like too much of a mouthful for that to actually be commercially successful compared to something like, hey, buy a hoodie, you know what a hoodie is, put your credit card number in and it will rock up with you a week later. Yeah. That was my mindset around it. And I think those concerns that I had were valid, but I am blown away that like he was able to overcome this and there are that many people willing to spend that much money. Crazy. Like, I I mean, I do wonder, and I remember when I first read it, I was thinking, okay, of the people that bought it, how many were just buying this, which granted for $2,000, which is a lot of money for a chance to get one of the Pokemon packs, which I believe mm-hmm. ended up going for about 30,000 each. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like buying an entry to a raffle ticket and there was this piece of like little digital art that came with it. But no, if if they were selling 3,000 of them, then anyone would logically look at the odds and be like, okay, no, I've only got a one in a thousand chance of winning um, one of the three packs available. And therefore, like if, if you're paying $2,000 for it, you're effectively what pricing that pack at $2 million if you account for the odds, yeah. um, which just doesn't make sense. So people are genuinely valuing these digital bits of art. And this, I think, brings it back to my questions about and, and I hate this because I feel like normally on the podcast, we're the people saying, no, this is what this is. Let, let us explain it to you. And this is why it's cool. Yeah. And for once I am, I feel like this is the opposite. We're kind of like being like, I'm confused. I'm scared and alone and I need help. Um, so so my, my questions around NFTs are number one, 
uh, display, which is ultimately, and and this is true for every single thing in life. And people can say that it's not, but it is. The reason you buy a luxury, unique car is so you can drive it around and show it off. The reason most people buy really expensive art is so they can put it on their wall and show it off. The reason people buy jewellery is to wear it and show it off. The reason people buy expensive skins in Fortnite is to wear them and show them them off. And be able to have them in game. With an NFT, where do I display it? Yeah. And also... How, uh, and also the fact that, you know, for example, if I were to buy an original Banksy or an original um, of any like incredible artist, famous mm. artist around the world that's worth a lot of money, if I put that on my wall, most people, you can, you can really go up to it and you can be like, wow, that's, that's, a, that's an original. That's unique. I can see the brush strokes. Yeah. Like I can feel that person's like energy going into the canvas. You can yeah. see where it translated onto that paper. Yes. But- <laughs> If it's pixels, I can literally screen capture the picture that they use to promote the digital asset that you're getting. And I have an identical item to you. Granted, yours has a unique barcode on it. I God, I feel like a grandfather because I know this isn't right. I know that I'm wrong, but (sighs) this is how I feel. I'm listening to you and I'm like, I feel like I have the same concerns, but I also feel like this is what the boomers would have said when like DJs were up and coming. You know, they're just like, but you're not even using an instrument. But you're just like pressing the buttons, man. It's all digital. Where's the You know what I mean? I'm like, are we those people now? I am. I feel like I'm the boomer. we reached our mid-20s and this is it. I feel like I'm the boomer. No, I just feel like like there's two worlds right now where it's kind of the people who – fully un, like are really into the whole cryptocurrency digital asset world. Cause I could actually very much imagine that this would be a lot more of a thing mentally for you. If you were also someone who was heavily invested in cryptocurrency yes. and Bitcoin, yeah. cause then you're like, no, 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 because Bitcoin I have, I, I now I very much can understand the value in because it is a finite asset that people have mutually agreed to put value behind. And a lot like gold, we're just like, nope, this is like, it's a, va- it's a store of value yeah. and it's limited and that's the way it is. But with, I don't know, but, but that's not what, these NFTs are because they're not like a currency where mm. you trade them one for one. They they are really kind of uh, I appreciate this pretty picture. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, and it's also unique. It's interesting to think about like who are the demographic that are purchasing these sorts of things. Who are they? I was having a conversation with Lannon the other day about this, and he was like, you know, who I think would be perfect to do an NFT would be like the boys. You know, like yeah. very digital audience, a little bit older. The boys is a group of VR creators that we represent. Yeah. Um, and and maybe they would have an audience that's perfect for it, as opposed to someone like Lannon who has a younger Fortnite audience, if you know yeah. what I mean. 100%. Anyway, I would love to hear from people listening what you guys think about NFTs. If you would purchase one, did you purchase one from Logan? Um, and what your theory around that would be. Like, do you care about displaying it or do you not? Is it more like just knowing that you have something in your collection that like yeah. represents a moment in time that won't come back again? So interested to see if – I, I, what I'm really interested to see, and I was reading about this before, there have been actually one or two once-off sales of like a unique piece of digital art yeah. um, that have actually sold really, really, really well. I think there was a Rick and Morty – a uh, piece of art that sold like $150,000 or something. Mm-hmm. But I, A, wonder whether that's kind of like 
been pushed up a little bit in terms of like uh, are there was it someone who made like a billion dollars off crypto and was like yolo i want to buy one of the first nfts and just that that was that was play money to them yeah. or is it or, or was that a genuine logical decision by someone who was spending their money yeah anyway um the point being i'm very keen to see if this is like if this does start a trend does it become a thing? Yeah. Are we suddenly going to see digital assets? I personally, if I was picking what to spend my money on, I would probably still commission a real life piece of art before I would buy yeah. a digital one. That's not to say that I don't think this could ever be a thing. I just personally, I think if I'm spending money on a luxury good, I like it to be more tangible than digital. Yes. And, le and le like, obviously in game items, I can you know, that's that's neither here nor there, but they're also not priced at $2,000 each. Yeah. Let's see what happens. I'm really interested. But for now, we're going to get into three of the quick stories that are happening this week. Now, the first one I want to tell you about, and guys, you know it wouldn't be a Watch Time episode if David Dobrik didn't come up at one point. So the first story that I want to run by you is David Dobrik's Dispo app. The, remember the disposable app? We've spoken yep. about it quite a bit on the podcast before. Is apparently seeking a Series A fundraising round at a hundred million dollar valuation. So to remind you guys, last year we spoke about this probably only a few months ago, really. They took a seed funding round that was led by the Reddit founder, um, Alexis, for $4 million. And they are apparently undisclosed, but rumored to be seeking at a hundred million dollar valuation have right they, now for their app that is still in beta. Have they launched? No. I, we're in a tech bubble. We're in a tech bubble. It's it's official. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there isn't value behind uh, the app they're building or the brand they're building or whatever it is. How much did Instagram sell for? It was like, what, one, two billion? Uh, let me look that up. Yeah, let, let's actually find that out. And that was someone who had created a product, demonstrated that product was going to dominate the market, launched the product, built their user base, built out infrastructure, was heavily established in the world. Mm. And then they sold for- A billion dollars. One billion dollars. And in these guys- 2012, don't let's let's make that $1.5 billion in, in 2021 money. Um 1.5 billion. These guys are already looking for almost a tenth of what Instagram sold for as their valuation. And I can't even download the app yet. I'm sorry, but I saw what happened to Casey Neistat's um beam. Was it yes. his beam? Yes. Where you at the end of the day, there is a limit to the number of ways people want to share photos of themselves. Don't get me wrong. I am sure, much like Beam did, the app will get some traction. Early traction. Early traction because everyone loves David Dobrik and if David says jump, people are going to jump. If I downloaded down Beam. Yeah, if people say download, he'll download. But I also think that putting a $100 million valuation on something that still isn't publicly available, demonstrably popular or anything like that. That sounds just completely insane to me. And I don't want to go too much into it because obviously this is one of our quick fire topics, Yeah, but that, that, that's insane to me. I think the valuations that are happening in the tech world, again, perhaps something that we need to learn more about, but I agree. It does seem crazy. And I think David, although he will create an app and I have absolutely no doubt that it will absolutely kill it at the start, 
um, you know, I'll download it. I'm sure everyone we know will download it because it's David's app and people have that curiosity. And then I'll take three photos on it and then never but use it again. actually integrate people's daily life, which is what social media apps need to do now to have the stickiness, like to have a TikTok, to have an Instagram, to have a Twitter, to have Facebook, that's tough. Like there's, there's a handful of apps in the world that people truly, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today use on an everyday basis I think from a social media perspective and I I think that's a massive call for it to be David's and when you think about valuations behind companies a these these apps are notoriously hard to monetize but b um, Instagram literally had to reach a point where they were undeniably because even back when they were sold mm. what was it 2015 2012 2012 they were still undeniably undisputably like getting huge traction yes. and were absolutely becoming the norm. Yes. And Facebook saw them as, oh, people aren't sharing their photos on Facebook. They're doing it on Instagram now. Yeah, yeah. That is what it takes to get a billion dollar valuation. And sure, this is a 10th of that, but that is still a hefty, hefty valuation on your yep. product. Yeah. And I, I mean, look, once again, it's a rumor. Maybe it's not true. I would say, it, look, if you told me they did their, their, their series A, wait, is this their series A? Yeah. Or is this, right, what, the pre-round of funding. Yeah, yeah, if they did their seed funding at like 4 million and they're like, no, 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 we really think we've got a strong product here and they were doing a series A at say 10, I'd be like, mm, yeah, yeah, okay, Makes fair. Sense. 100, <laughs> 100, I'm buying some Ferraris. I'm not <laughs> buying a disposable app. All right, let's get into story number two. Spotify had their big conference of the year yesterday. They announced a bunch of new things that were extremely creative focused. They announced a huge amount of new initiatives around podcasting and specifically around dynamic ad insertion, which is something that's new for them. Dynamic ad insertion is basically the concept of when you listen to a podcast and you hear an ad, um, the fact that the platform has created some way of inserting ads that are relevant to where people are listening from. So an issue with running ads on podcasts in the past has been that if we're in Australia and we do an ad with an Australian advertiser, a bunch of you are going to be listening to the, this in the US and you're going to be hearing an ad that has no relevance for you. What dynamic ad insertion is able to do is basically be able to play the people in Australia an ad that's relevant for them and the people in the US an ad that's relevant for them. It's effectively just what YouTube does. The the creator exactly. says, uh, put an ad at three minutes, put an ad at 10 minutes and 20 minutes. Totally. And, and then, the platform works out what's best for the yeah. end consumer. The technology behind this is super valuable. It's something that platforms podcast platforms have been working on for a while, but that Spotify itself has never dipped its toe into. And the fact that they're doing this now, I think says so much again, just about how committed Spotify is to becoming more than just a streaming platform, but really a content platform. And I see them more and more and more going beyond music and into podcasting. And I think I see huge amounts of inspiration that they're taking from YouTube to apply to their own platform. Yeah. 
Definitely, definitely. I'm, and once again, I think I'm very surprised that YouTube still hasn't pushed more into podcasting. And Apple. I feel like Apple's fully rested on its laurels there. Oh. Completely let Spotify take Oh, really? Reins. Absolutely. I, 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 really, I haven't really followed the podcast wars as much, but I, I, my understanding oh. was that Apple was doing very well in podcasting. They have been. They had the lion's share for a long time. And, and I now. think Spotify has come in and completely shaken up the landscape and they are aggressively pursuing podcasts, both in terms of signing podcasts exclusively, the type of offerings that they're making, the ad offerings that they're making, and just the user experience on the app as well, I think is is next level. And the fact that they're breaking into video podcasting as well. For and a little bit of like the Netflix vibe where they're now paying to get like content made. Like yeah. I guarantee Barack Obama wasn't just like, I'm doing a podcast. Absolutely Spotify not. came to him and they were like, we have $50 million. Yeah. Would you like to talk once that a was, week? That was one of the things that they, they announced is is uh, Michelle and Barack Obama's production arm is doing a new podcast with Barack and um, Bruce Springsteen, which is super cool. They also announced that Harry and Meghan, the royals or the ex-royals, have started a new company called Archibald Audio. No. And they have created their own podcast network. Spill the tea on the royal family. And um, they're going to be creating a bunch of podcasts exclusive to Spotify as well. So I think that sort of thing is super, super interesting. And that's right after they also, the the Archibalds, sorry, announced that they have signed a big deal with Netflix as well. So I feel like it's so funny because just a note on the Royals, and I know we definitely do not talk about the Royals very much on Watch Time and it might not be relevant, but I just think it is funny that um, Harry and Meghan were like, no, no, we're going to don our Royal titles. We don't want the spotlight. We just want the quiet life. BRB goes and signs like $100 million deals with Netflix and Spotify. And we're a production house. They're literally the way, like they're, they're, the spotlight. They're literally like we hate the spotlight. Next minute, it's keeping up with the <laughs> keeping up with the ex royals. Too funny. Okay, and our third quick little story for today is Mr. Beast was going off a little bit on Twitter last week about a Russian YouTube channel that he found that was literally just photoshopping uh, this Russian guy's face onto all of Mr. Beast's thumbnails. Yeah, so he, common. I I think this is fascinating. It's kind of funny. Like I think, you know, obviously Mr. Beast is doing well enough. He doesn't need to worry about someone taking his share and the person's in Russia. So it's not like anyone that's watching him in English is probably also watching this guy in Russia. It's the principle. But it is fascinating, I think. And this person in Russia has clearly just realised how important thumbnails are. And it's so funny because I did a podcast last week with um, these guys called YKTR and I can link that podcast below as well. But basically I did a podcast on their channel and we were speaking about a bunch of stuff and, we, and the, the topic of um, thumbnails came up and they were like, oh, how important are thumbnails? And I was saying like how crucially important thumbnails are for creators and how it's like the most, one of the most important parts of a successful YouTube video. And I think it's just so funny that Mr. Beast is known for spending so much time and money on getting his thumbnails right. And this random guy in Russia is just like, I can, you know. This, your your thumbnail? No, no, no. My thumbnail. Why reinvent the wheel? Just Literally, shot my face I, on. I am currently looking at it right now. And it is, but you know what? Also like bit of effort gone in, like the Photoshop job is solid. Like he literally, he doesn't only swap out 
like Mr. Beast, he swaps out every single person in the thumbnail with his friends. I think and that's he does so it funny. in a way that you can't even really tell that it's photoshopped. It's it's pretty damn incredible. Like I mean they're good thumbnails. They they're bloody good. I I've almost like you've got to respect the balls on it. Uh, yeah. But you know what? It's not just a random channel in Russia. This is the biggest channel in Russia. This guy posted a video four days ago that's currently on 11 million views. Like, this is not like some, oh, oh it's a little Timmy, started his little YouTube channel and he's just copying a bigger YouTube. No, no, no. This guy is a powerhouse of the entire country. <laughs> and he's like the head, he was probably like the big, yeah, the biggest channel in the country. And he's like, just doesn't give a fuck. How do you reckon Mr. Beast is feeling? You know what? I just want to say about that guy though. God, if that isn't the most Russian thing you could do. Like <laughs> I absolutely love it. Like it's uh, it just absolutely doesn't care at all. It's just like, yep, you know what? No fucks given. I'm going with what I want. I mean, like, honestly, I, I don't think at the end of the day, uh, like I think Mr. Beast knows it doesn't impact his bottom line. Like, he doesn't lose any money from it. But I do think that there is uh, like, and this happened with um, a lot of our Fortnite thumbnails back yeah, then. Like, true. Uh, and I'm sure it still does happen, but like we discovered this channel, um, Lockie, Lannan and I, that was like literally just all our thumbnails just completely ripped and pasted his face yeah. on top of it. And uh, Lockie literally had to like file uh, copyright strikes. And I think they actually like got the videos taken down. But it's it's not about someone taking your views. It's just like it's the principle of it. Yeah. It's like I invested in this. I invested my time in this, my mental energy in this. I don't want you profiting from yeah. something that I personally have festival that yeah, time. Yeah, it feels scrappy. And our final story today is Epic Games settling a lawsuit over loot boxes. And I find this personally interesting, number one, because almost every game that I've ever been invested in, well, at least the games I've been most invested in, financially at least, have all involved loot boxes. Probably not a coincidence <laughs> there. And uh, and also the fact that I think legislatively, um, loot boxes are kind of like a very, very hot topic. It was talked about a lot more about a year or two ago, but it's only really now that we're finally seeing the outcome of mm. a lot of that talk. I feel like Ep Epic's lawyers are getting a good workout at the moment between oh. this and the Apple and Google Play stores. Well, I think literally they actually kind of went a bit proactive on this one. I think there was right. kind of rumblings of a, of a lawsuit taking place or maybe like some very preliminary papers got filed. But okay, Epic so take us back a notch. Why is loot boxes a problem and why is Epic tackling so it? Loot boxes, obviously like almost every game these days has microtransactions. Mm -hmm. Developers have realized why charge $50, $60 for a game when you can give them the game slightly cheaper and then incentivize them to spend $200, $300 on, uh, on microtransactions as they play. Mm -hmm. Loot boxes mean that you're not just buying an item in the game, but it's kind of like the idea that you have a chance to get a certain item. Mm -hmm. So a lot of games, whether it's for an actual item that has power or ability, or whether it's just an item that is like especially good looking, will have super, super rare items, the really, really sought after ones. Yeah. And the way that loot boxes work is 99% of what you get out of them is probably absolutely awful. Like yeah. you don't really want it. You're never going to use it. And less than the value of what you paid for the loot box. Yeah, exactly. And less than the value of what you pay for the loot box. But there's a 1% or a 0.1% chance of getting something that is like big, big value, literally a slot machine. You put in money. Most of the time you're getting $2, $5, $10 wins, basically getting back what you put in. Sounds but like every gambling. now and again, you hit the jackpot and literally, which is why people compare it to gambling. So 
And, and largely because of the fact that a lot of the people who are, you know, buying loot boxes are underage. Right. People have rightfully and reasonably drawn the conclusion that maybe, uh, you know, kind of profiting off the same, like, gambling mental techniques that casinos use to, you know, harvest money from people. Right. And then putting that into games that target underage people yes. is maybe questionable. Okay. Um, now... The plus side, I'm going to say the plus side, because I'm very much the kind of person who has always been very much invested in games and, and you know, I've been a YouTuber, it's been my job, so I probably spend more than most. Mm-hmm. I personally have enjoyed loot boxes because <laughs> I love the ability to have, like, rarity in games. I think rarity in games is so cool, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I grew up with TF2 early on, and TF2 had uh, a lot of cosmetics in the game, similar to Fortnite. And you, when you open these boxes, a lot of the time what you'd get would be, like, hats that yeah. your character could wear when you're playing. 99% of the time, you get a normal hat. 1% of the time, you get a hat that has an effect on it, like it's on fire or it's or it's got, like, you know, planets orbiting it or something wow. like that. Wow. And when you're, war- but literally, like, but when you're playing the game, it's, but it's, it's literally no different, right? To when, you know, like you're walking down the street and someone's got like a, a nice handbag. Yeah. Or, and you know what? It's like, it's still a handbag. It, it doesn't have any real impact, but you're like, oh, wow, okay, that's cool. Yeah. Because that's rare and I know that's valuable. And, it's kind of cool when you're in a game to A, be able to like walk around and be like, whoa, he's got the thing that's like super yeah. rare. I've never seen that before. Yeah. And it's even cooler if you're the guy with the thing because you're like, that's right, everybody. It's me, your boy, the guy who spent $4,000 on some pixels. Okay. Um, and yeah, but but long story short, if you remove loot boxes, it's very hard to have that rarity in game. But obviously, very understandably, that is something that people are pushing back on. Governments have started pushing back on. I believe it was the European Union who's actually the only country, as far as I know right now, that's actually legislated a bit against them. Mm-hmm. And to bring it back, effectively, there was some rumblings of people doing it to Epic because while they don't have loot boxes in in Battle Royale, they do have them in the Save the World version of Fortnite and right. in Rocket League that they just acquired. There were some rumblings of it happening, so I think Epic just went very much on the front foot and was like, yep, you know what, actually... Uh, we're just going to – they put a proposal forward to the courts to settle it, and they're like, we're going to give everyone who has ever bought a loot box in one of our games a 1,000 V-Bucks, <laughs> which is about 7 to $8 in value per person. Now, the irony of Epic giving V-Bucks to people that have bought loot boxes as part of a settlement is not lost on me here, that they are granting people in-game currency that they can then use to go buy more skins and, and cosmetics. It, it effectively, <laughs> yeah, it effectively, like, sure, I'm sure there'll be a very fractional cost in there because there'll be a small percentage of people who will get that 1,000 V-Bucks who will put it towards something that they otherwise would have had to put their credit card in to buy V-Bucks with. But most people will just be like, ooh, a free 1,000 V-Bucks, yeah. and they'll buy something random they otherwise wouldn't have bought, to which... For Epic, the cost is zero because it's a digital item that they're distributing and uh, effectively their their loss on that is zero. I did think it was super funny though that when they settled this lawsuit, they came out and they were like, and they're like, here at Epic Games, uh, we believe that you should know what you're getting in when you buy something in a video game. So starting today, we're only selling things that where you can see what you're going to get when you buy them. And it's like, no, 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 no. You, you, you very much were happy to profit <laughs> off this for a while, but you see where the wind's blowing and you know what's <laughs> going on. That said, though, 
I actually was always very impressed that uh, Epic never did a loot box model with Fortnite Battle Royale mm. because, oh my God, mm. people talk about the revenue that Fortnite made and they did that on a very morally clear, you buy a skin, you yeah. get the skin. If they had put in things like TF2 or CSGO or any of those games where there's like hyper rare items that are 1%, 0.1%, so, 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 so rare. Yeah. Bro, I probably would not have a house to live in because I would have spent all my <laughs> money on loot boxes to try and get those ridiculously rare items. Yeah. Because just being able to flex, mm. oh. In Especially in Fortnite where the flex culture is is really present. Well, like it, I think it, it, people want it to be present and people latch on to like rare items wherever they can get them, you know, mm. like a renegade raider, like the, the skins that were like very, very OG yeah. that they never put back in the store. But the problem is most of the time in Fortnite, you really can't flex because, yeah. and this is actually something deep in, because I was chatting to a few of the developers about it. It's actually quite, I think, a core thing for Epic these days. They're like, they don't want anything to be inaccessible to anyone. Yeah. They want any player to see anything in the game and be like, I can do that. I can get that. I can wow. achieve that. And you can see that through everything, even like the way they design game modes, like competitive mode is so accessible. If you want to play in a tournament, you can play in a tournament. You don't really have to mm. do that much to get access to at least the base level of it. And all cosmetics as well. It's like they're open for everyone. If, you, yeah. if you've got 10, 15 bucks, like you can get whatever you want. Yeah. Epic is incredibly principled as a developer, and I think you can see well, that. Well, they are now. They are now, <laughs> maybe. But I think you really can see that flow through with a lot of their decisions, even even to take it back to the lawsuit that they're, um, that they're in with Apple and Google Play. You know, that is not something that's just going to have an impact on Epic. It's going to have an impact on the whole app development scene globally. And yeah. I think it's really interesting that they, they take that approach. Yeah. And Tim Sweeney, obviously feels extremely passionate about that democratized. I, I think approach. I think a lot of the time the attacks I see on Epic are uh, you know like when like like a wealthy person or um or you know like a celebrity or someone they donate money to charity mm. and there's like a news article it's like oh George Clooney donated a million dollars to charity and then everyone comes out like oh but why not 10 million you know yeah. like you George yeah, Clooney yeah, you got yeah. more and it's like okay like we get it like yeah sure you could theoretically be better but also don't hate on a good thing and i no. think that's epic epic is not they're not perfect but i actually do think if you look at the like morals and the way that the gaming industry functions across the board epic epic is undeniably very, very, very much on the good end mm. of that. And I think even though the way they, you know, I think you see it with the Epic Game Store, like a lot of people are like, you know, and I, I think understandably frustrated that Epic has been pushing hard to try and grow their Epic Game Store. And to do that, they've been purchasing a lot of exclusives, meaning that they don't get to appear on the Steam Store. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they're doing that, uh, is them doing that isn't something that really affects you. It's not like you have to pay a subscription to use the Epic Game Store. No. You can Anyone can download it for free. Sure, it's a bit of a hassle to open up another launcher. And at the end of the day, they're fundamentally providing a platform which allows developers of games, a lot of the time indie games that aren't these billion-dollar companies, to make more money from their titles. Mm. Like they're taking a significantly lower cut, almost half the cut of what uh, other platforms like Steam does. Yeah. So at the end of the day, sure, I get people hate on Epic for little things a lot of the time. And sure, they did do loot boxes like every other company mm. in 2015. But at the end of the day, I think by and large, Epic, they run a, they run a good a good morally tight ship. Yeah. But 
it is going to be so interesting to see if, and I, I think actually this, if this really is going to be, and I'm not saying, I don't think Epic's the catalyst. I think it's been going that way. I think we're going to see the end of loot boxes generally. Yeah. I just think it's going to become a legislative nightmare. I think you're going to see some countries like the European Union and I'm sure others over the next few years actually put in laws saying you cannot sell loot boxes yeah. to people in your video games. And it just won't be practical. For and it just like developers is going to be like, well, we can't have a business model that functions in 14 different ways in 14 different regions. We just need to actually do something that is legal across the board. I do think it's ironic given, you know, like I've talked to you about this before, like arcades, like kids arcades where you go in yeah. and you play and you play game, you put like $2 into a machine and you play a game and you get tickets and you use the tickets to buy same, like same prizes thing. at the end. It's the exact same thing. Half the arcades, the games in there, you literally put $2 in, spin a wheel. It pays you out a random amount of tickets between 10 and a thousand. Mm. And then you use that to buy some ridiculously overpriced toy. Like, it's the same thing and they yeah. should also, I, in my personal opinion, as much as I love them, be looked at for that same issue. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, it's very interesting and I reckon the end of loot boxes as we know it. Mm. All right. Well, guys, that wraps us up for this week's episode. I'm going to have some extremely exciting news to be sharing with you guys next week. I'm actually um, really, really keen to talk about it and that will be a main topic of next week, I think. Um, but until then, we will see you guys very soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.